Welcome to this teaching from Calvary Chapel Divine, Texas. Calvary Chapel Divine is just a casual church for everyone. We meet in a common place and we just simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. One of the things that we do emphasize is the sun, salt, and light. We want you to know and grow in the sun, Jesus, but be the salt and the light in this world. If you'd like to get more information on the church, we meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. You can either come in person or watch online, but you can also submit a prayer request. Or if you have any questions about the church at all, you can just go to our website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. I, I entitled it simply, Stand Up and Bless the Lord. Stand up and bless the Lord. And we won't get through the whole chapter tonight. I'm actually probably just going to cover six verses tonight. Because we've got a lot, of, a lot of other things to cover that will kind of tie into, um, tie into um, Sunday. So, so it would be a lot of fun. And all, which ties into past Sunday too, which is, that's just all the Lord. And all. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We do pray and we ask you just to be with us as we uh, come into your word in Nehemiah chapter 9. As we see not only revival, but we see confession. Confession of sin. Uh, confession of, 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 of just turning their life and repenting and, and just turning back to you as a nation. Uh, we see the children of Israel uh, returning to you. And, and Lord, we pray that for us, for our nation. We pray that uh, that we would see a returning uh, to you in our nation. But um, uh, many people have fallen away from the church uh, that were attending, and then COVID happened and they stopped attending. Uh, and some still watch online, and, and, and uh, we encourage that you, you be fed, but at the end of the day, you do need that fellowship as well. And so, Lord, we pray that there would be a returning uh, for the Christians, that there would be a revival uh, of the believers. And um, we also just pray, Lord, for the lost. We thank you so much for uh, just for this day. Uh, I do pray for um, the possibility of doing a worship night and just the Holy Spirit leading us uh, and, and just seeing things already shaping up to, to, to see that that may be possible. And so uh, I pray that it would be an opportunity for the churches in Divine to come together, for the churches in Natalia and Lytle. You know, we're all here just trying to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the main thing. Uh, it's not a competition. And so I, I pray that, uh, that we wouldn't lose focus of that. We do lift up our city. We lift up the city council. We lift up our mayor. Uh, we lift up our governor and our president as well. And we just ask, Lord, that you just continue to bless and move us to a relationship with you to do the things that you've called us to do to return us back to the Lord. And, uh, and I do pray for Marcus. I pray for this building. I uh, pray for his family. And just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for us being here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So let's, uh, let's turn to, to Nehemiah 8. And, and I just want to kind of recap what happened because I wasn't here last week. Uh, Gary taught last week, and we took a break from Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah chapter 8, we were in verse, uh, I believe verse 14 is kind of where we will pick it up. And it, and it says, And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel shall dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. 
Go out to the hills and, and bring branches of olive, wild uh, olive, myrtle, palm, and leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So one of the things that we see is that in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, as you see them returning to the Word of God, but not just returning to the Word of God, they see that they're supposed to make booths for the Feast of Booths, and they do it. So not only were they, they reading it, but they were applying God's word in their life. And they continued to meet, and this is important, uh, in verse 18 it says, And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. So every day they had developed a habit of being in God's word. And that's, that's such an important part for us. And, and understanding revival, understanding what Calvary Chapel is, understanding that Calvary Chapel was part of the Jesus movement, the revival that happened in California as the hippies came to know Jesus Christ. And so many churches that came out of that with Greg Laurie and all the, the other uh, wonderful pastors, the Raul Reese and, and Pastor David Rosales and Jack Hibbs and that whole crew that came out of there that, that uh, planted churches and, and has done so much for the, for the Lord. But... I think sometimes what we do is we kind of look to the past thinking, well, that thing needs to happen again, but it's a new thing when it happens. And so Calvary Chapel, one of the things that I pray for is, is if you look at Habakkuk 3.2, so this is probably one of those chapters you probably haven't really looked at too much, right? Not unless you do the one-year Bible, but Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2 says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you, in your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. Revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In the wrath, remember mercy. And so what we see is Habakkuk stands in awe of God. And, and, and he's not looking to the past, but he's looking to what God is going to do in the future, which is important for us. As we look at Calvary Chapel, one of the things that, that was such a... Um, such an importance for us was the Word of God. And, and to see actual people that would just come to the church. They wanted to be a church. They, they wanted to be when, they, when Greg Laurie was holding the revivals and they wanted to be there. They were inviting people to come to church. And we talked about that this past weekend. It, it's, it's our responsibility as Christians to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that because that's something important. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what God, when he sent his son Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for each of us, that he died for the sins of this world. He died for you. He died so that you could have eternal life. He died so your eternity begins the day that you give your life to Christ and he empowers you that day. And so we have to get back to doing what we've been called to do. And I had uh, some, one of the pastors share this with me today, and I thought it was so important. It says, some want to live within the sound of the church or the chapel bell. But what we should want is to go to the rescue shop within a yard of hell to share the gospel to the lost. We're so divided in this country, and we, gotta, we have to move past that. The gospel will move past that. The gospel will create a way for us to talk to people that would never talk to us because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't be afraid to go out of the walls and, and share Christ. One of the things that we do see as we get to chapter 9, remember I told you that chapter 8 and chapter 9, those are, they're, they're kind of hinged together. 
because they're dealing with revival and then and it deals with four things that are very important for revival to happen there's a number of things that have to happen for revival but one of them is worship when we when we look at the four things for revival the first is worship that god had created the humanity with the capacity to know the love and his worship and worship is a place where the heart of god meets uh the heart of his children in Psalm 95, 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. See, worship carries the idea of showing reverence to God. It's an, an active, adoring response whereby we declare His worth. So the first thing we see with revival is worship. The second thing we see is the Word of God. It was something that Pastor Chuck focused on primarily for Calvary Chapel. And it's something that all Calvary chapels are supposed to have as an emphasis, to, to, to teach the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because in order for the Jesus movement to happen, the great awakening that happened in the 70s, the, the main thing was the Word of God. It was the Word of God. And, and that's why I was saying they, they actually go day by day by day to hear the Word of God. They had a habit of it. And that's something that we have to establish in ourselves. And if you don't have the app, you can download it. It's called The Word for Today by Chuck Smith. It's on the Android. It's on the iPhone. You can listen to the whole Bible. Chuck taught it, I think, four times. They have Kay Smith's teachings on there. And, and, and so I always say, if you, can't, if you can't read it, then you need to listen to it. But you gotta, you got to make a point of being in it. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3, it says, And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we see at the very beginning of the revival, what were they in? The Word of God. They worshiped, and then it was the Word of God. Jack Hibb shared this this week, and it's an unbelievable quote because it says, if there is decay of the conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If, if the public press lacks moral discernment, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and the worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in Christianity, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in the halls of our legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. And if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. That was written by Reverend Charles Finley in 1873. And it's, 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 it's today as well. We got too many pastors that are spending too much time trying to be celebrity pastors, trying to entertain the congregation and not teaching the Word of God. That is a foundation for Calvary Chapel. And we have to stick to that. We can't get away from that. So we see worship. We see the Word of God. The next is prayer. It goes all the way back to the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When Nehemiah heard about it, it says, and as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for the days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah immediately goes to God. 
immediately. Because he had concerns for the people of Israel. He had concerns for the nation of Israel. He understood the sin that the nation of Israel had committed. He understood that the city of Jerusalem, the temple, nobody could do temple worship because of the safety, because there was no wall around the city. And so he began to pray in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. And he prayed for four months. For four months he prayed this one thing to be able to go and build the wall. Prayer is essential for a revival. Worship, the word, prayer, and then finally confession, repentance. Why do we need to confess? We see in chapter 9 when we see Israel, they, they were rebellious. And, and as we look at the history in chapter 9 next week, we, we're going to get a complete history lesson of the, of the children of Israel and rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. And we see the mercy of God. And I'm telling you right now, our country is in a place where we need a revival, but it will t- it's going to take the Christian to be revived. It's us. That's why it tells us in that Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Why are we going to go back to the same sinful lifestyle that we were in before? And we do it time and time again. I'm going to let that train go by because that's my train. And I'll always watch it because I'm waiting one day. I hope I don't come off the rails so that way I can tell y'all it's off the rails. Think about it. The prodigal son, we talked about the prodigal son, but we talked about the brother this past weekend, right? The brother was very religious and was upset about the prodigal coming back and his father forgiving him. But we have to remember that it was the prodigal that was in the pig pen. It was the prodigal that was in the mud. It was the prodigal that actually kept going back to the thing over and over and over before he finally realized, I need to repent and go back to see my father. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. That's why I love when we see these verses one of the things that we see is, is Nehemiah in chapter 1 is what does Nehemiah do? He confesses the sins of his, of his nation. He didn't do anything. He was never born in Jerusalem. But yet he assumed the responsibility of the sin of the nation of, of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, And they said, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, Keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servant. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We, we take responsibility for our sin. So what do we see when revival? So as we go into chapter 9, Something that's very important is as we look at revival that started in chapter 8, we see that the worship, the reverence of God, we see uh, the Word of God having a priority in their life. 
we see prayer being something that, that we don't... I, I, one of the things that I always say, it drives me crazy, is when somebody says, I'll pray for you. And they don't pray for you when they're right there. Because I need prayer then. If I'm telling you I need prayer, I need prayer. Because how many times will you actually go on Facebook and say praying, and you don't pray? Right? Hey, we, we, need to, we, we need to put a focus on prayer. And then the last part is confession. So the word, worship, word, prayer, and confession. That's the recipe for revival. One quick little note that Warren Worsby said is in Daniel 9, Ezra 9, and Nehemiah 9, all three of those chapters deal with revival. Now what, what significance that has, I don't know. But it's awesome to see that God continues to, reget, to revive and, and, and refresh and restore his people. Right? And that's what the Church of America needs. And so what we see is the, the time of feast, the tabernacle, the feast of booths. Uh, it's over and, and, and they, they have a day off and yet they want to get back to the word of God. In Nehemiah chapter, one, uh, chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. We'll look at these verses, and, and, and I, I just simply entitled it, and I know y'all probably thinking, man, Mike, you're already 15 minutes in. We're only doing six verses tonight, so don't freak out. <laughs> so I entitled it, Stand Up and Bless the Lord, and that actually comes from, uh, I believe, Nehemiah chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse, verse 6, and I love that, that, that quote because that's something so important for us. Um, and so we see... In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now on the 24th day on this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth uh, on their hands. So fasting, humbling themselves. And, and, and fasting, I know for us, it's hard. It's, there's so much misinformation on fasting. And it's funny because i got to talk about it again on Sunday. It's in our scripture for Sunday. That's what I was saying. There's so many parallels to what was taught Sunday, what we're teaching this Sunday, and what we're teaching tonight. But fasting is, is a humbling, and it's, and it's a way for us to, to connect with God on a level, a one-on-one -on -one level, and it's, it's a private thing that you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to tell everybody you're fasting, right? Because that's what the Pharisees did. They made themselves look sickly. Like, I haven't eaten in a few days. And they, they, would, they would bring attention to themselves. But biblical fasting, something that we need to understand, fasting is done in a few different ways. The first is we fast to obey God. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, it says, It is not that the fast that I choose or chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, uh, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. And so one of the things that we see is when he's fasting, he's, he's looking for not the Lord to alleviate the misery, but he's actually just trying to come alongside and pray for that person's spirituality, for them to be saved, for them to come back to God. And so he's fasting for a friend. That's, that's something that we do biblically because we're doing it because we're obeying God. The other thing that we fast for is to deny the flesh. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for, for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
So when Daniel learned God's truth, he experienced and humbled, humbled him, and he moved him to worship the Word in prayer. And we're going to see this over and over. Like the things that we're going to learn tonight, they, they just tie back in to worship the Word, prayer, and confession. Revival. The keys to revival. We fast because we want to strengthen the spiritual man. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so we know that Jesus fasted, Moses fasted, Elijah fasted for 40 days. And it strengthened them. We also know that fasting, it's a, we're honoring God without drawing attention to ourselves. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, it says, And when you fast, he's talking about the Pharisees, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The people, you know, you'll hear it, man, oh, I'm doing a, a, a Facebook fast. You need to keep that to yourself. That's between you and God. If you're doing the fast, you're doing the fast, right? Because you can do fast on other things besides food, but remember, it's something between you and God. Now, if the church fasts together for an event, that's something that the church does together. But we don't run around doing like the hypocrites, looking all gloomy like I haven't eaten in a week. I'm starving, right? I'm doing this for the Lord. No, you're not. You're doing it for your reward right now, and you got your reward, so don't expect it in heaven. Right? The other reason why we fast is to open our eyes and heart to what God's desire is, is going to do. And, and so we can be aware and be led. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this is a funny thing because I don't think most people know that the Holy Spirit spoke. If you were to ask that question and you ask that question in school of ministry, you see the puzzled faces. And I'm like, the Holy Spirit is a person. He spoke. It's in Scripture. But they were fasting not in a way to redirect the hand of God, but they were fasting so they would be disciplined and, and it helps them to see the heart of God so they know what direction they're supposed to be going. And so fasting is, is something that we should be doing in the church, but it's something that you do between you and God. It is a gift from God to fast. It's something that we can do. Uh, I, I know one of the pastors that I know, he doesn't eat until he won't eat anything until after he teaches both services. That's how he is because he's fasting in the morning for God's word. It's something that he does. Now that's not something that he goes out and publicly tells everybody. But I know different pastors have different things that they do for fasting and that's something that we we need to understand is, is that it's something that, that uh, it is a gift from God and it's a way for us to, to quiet the world down and hear from the Lord. We're seeking God. Right? And it says in verse 1 it says, "...and with fasting and in sackcloth with earth on their heads. So what is sackcloth? It's actually just goat hair. It's a garment made of goat hair. And anybody who's ever messed with goat hair, I know Sarah could probably explain more about this. It is itchy. It's not going to feel good on your... I mean, it, they wore a garment, so they didn't have any nice, 
nice smooth type garments. They had this itchy goat hair that they would put on and, and it, was, it was something. And then, then they would pour dirt on their head, right? Because that's when it says, and with earth on their heads, they would actually pour dirt on their head and go to church, right? I can go into a whole thing about California. When you go to Calvary Chapel, it's like going to a GQ magazine. Some people put too much pride in their stuff. I mean, they look great, but it's like, come on, man. Let's focus on focus on the word, man, because I'm focusing. That's a nice outfit you put on. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what we see is they have just goat hair garment. Uh, they pour dirt on their face. And it, what it means is when they would do this, this is different. Like for us, we wouldn't do this. Like I said, say, uh, Wayne, I'm going to stop by your house. I need to get some dirt to dump on my head before I get to church. Can I borrow some goat hair and put it on? We wouldn't do this. So this is unfamiliar to us. But for the Jews, this was very something they would do culturally. They would do this culturally. So it's something for us. But the thing that we need to remember about this, they were humbling themselves before God. It was a reverence. It was a worship that they were saying, look, we, we're humbling ourselves and coming before you. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility will get you so far. Pride. We got a lot of prideful, prideful people today. Think they know everything. Because they can Google it, right? They'll ask you a question and they'll, you'll see them over there and then they answer it. And it's like, well, Google answered the question. You didn't answer the question. But that's, we, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Verse 2 says, And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So what, why would they separate themselves from the foreigners? They're separating themselves from the world. Okay? Now why would we say foreigners? Now at this time, remember, the foreigners were doing what? They were actually, they were, they were worshiping false idols. They were actually doing child sacrifice at this time. They were still doing that stuff. Worshiping false gods. So they were like, y'all have to go. We're going to separate ourselves from you because we need to get right with God. And sometimes as believers, that's something that we need to do ourselves to separate ourselves from the world as well. Right? Because we allow the world, too much of the world in us, and that's what creates the problems that a lot of us have. John chapter 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. In verse 19 it says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And we talked about you being the salt and the light this past weekend. One of the things that's really cool about being the light, it contrasts dark. Right? It contrasts the dark. That's what you're supposed to be. If, if we put you in a dark room, you should be the light in that room. But what happens is today, this is why I was talking about the separating of, of the foreigners of the Israelites. Because today what we have happening is a lot of Christians want to associate themselves with the world and its culture because they want to be light they don't want to be canceled and so instead of them being the contrast they're they're the dark being the dark 
instead of the light. We need to separate ourselves from the world. And, and, and what I mean by that is like we cannot align ourselves with things that go against God. If it's in God's word, we can't go against it. We're disobedience. There, there can't be a partial, partial obedience. That's disobedience. And I know there's a lot of things when we look at God's word and we look at the culture, we can name them off one by one. And as believers, we need to understand that we have to separate ourselves from those things and be the light. Telling somebody they're living in sin. Remember we talked about it this week that Jesus, the physician, came to, to do what? To save sinners because they're what? Sick. We were all in need of a doctor. Every one of us. Every one of us. Your grandmother, your grandfather, your aunts, your uncles. They all need Jesus. They're all walking in sin. At some point, we have to separate ourselves from the world and choose to follow Christ. And that's what they're doing here because they confess their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. You know what I love about that? They don't blame their stuff on their parents. They don't blame their stuff on the culture. Well, I'm this way because I was brought up this way. That's false. Don't let the devil put that in your ear. That's not true. You're the way you are because you've sinned. You chose that road. One thing I remember when I left my house at 17, at that point, it wasn't my dad's mistakes and my mom's mistakes. They became mine. And I took that same behavior because, you know, we don't talk about, there's no generational curses in the Bible. But let me tell you something. Sin can affect generations. Now, I'm not sure how many of us have come from a, a Christian home. I did not. I came from an alcoholic father, a mom that, that had enough of my dad and divorced him at, when I was six years old. And then, then she married a drug addict. That was abusive to us, which was a fun childhood. Now, I could blame everything on them, but you know what? The stuff I did as a father, the stuff I did as a dad, as a husband, that's my stuff. That was my sin. I can't put that on my dad or my mom. Those, are, those were my choices. And so when we look at this, we confess our sins. We need to confess our sins. And we confess our sins as a nation. If we're going to allow abortion in this country, we have to confess our sins as a nation. It's, it's, it's a sin. And that's why you, you look back at Nehemiah in chapter 1. I won't read the verse again, but it says that he was confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And I love what he says. We have acted very corruptly against you. It's a, it's a cycle of sin. Our, our, our grandkids is the first generation of kids to grow up in a Christian home. My dad did not know Christ. His grandfather never went to church. They, we didn't grow up in a, in, a, in a godly home. My grandparents never went to church. I remember just going Sunday to peel shrimp and, and watch them drink on Sunday. That was their thing, barbecue and... and that was Sunday. 
And so one of the things that we have to do is we have to get out of that pattern and actually confess our sins. If we want revival to happen in our lives, we have to confess our sins. We have to get right with God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and this is the beauty of the gospel, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He will forgive you. You just have to repent. And we know the verse very well in Romans 10:9. but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what we learned this weekend in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. They stood and confessed their sins. You know what I hear a lot of times, and it really puzzles me, is I'll hear people say, Man, if I, I don't know if I want to come to know Christ because i got to give up my partying. i got to give up my alcohol. Well, you don't understand who Christ is then. Christ died for you. He died on the cross for you. Because Christ doesn't want you in hell. Because that's where this is going to end up. You can't blame other people. That's what psychology does. Psychology wants to blame. It's your parents' fault. It's your society's fault. It's the government's fault. Let me tell you, I blamed everybody. I had a son that was smoking weed outside my house. Because let me tell you, our family went off the rails big time before we came to know Christ. Five kids. Two suicidal. One smoking weed thinking that was going to fix the problem. And I, I catch him outside the, the window and I'm like, what, what are you doing? Well, you told him that we can't smoke in the house. It's like, what are you doing outside the house? And you know who I went to blame? The school. Because he told me about it at school. I went to the principal. I was like, do you know what's happening in your school? My son bought weed here yesterday. And he goes, you have no clue, do you? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I have to bring the, the drug dogs through here twice a week. And that's something light compared to the stuff we find. Meth, crack. He goes, that's nothing. See, I want to blame somebody else for my son's downfall. But it's my fault as a father. I failed him. And see, that's the thing. Psychology wants to blame it, but we need to understand that when we come to Christ, we're a new creation. The old has passed away in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We confess our sins. We're cleansed of our sins. But you've got to let go of those influences of the world. And then it says in verse 3, And they stood up, in their place and read from the book of the law their God for a quarter of the day and for a quarter of it they made confession and worshiped their God. That's three hours of preaching, three hours of confession, worship, and prayer. You can't do this in church today. People freak out if you go past 45 minutes. 
Well, you know, hey, what, what are you doing? I'm teaching the Word. You know, that's what, that's what we're here to do. And there was a time when people were hungry for God's Word. And, and unfortunately, we're in a time where, where people are hungry for so many other things but God's Word. They look for answers in everything but God's Word. And God's Word has the answers for everything that we need. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love that because it's profitable. It guides you. It corrects you. It's allowing God to make you complete, to shape you like Christ, transforming you from dark to light. Right? Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat, and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and you'll fill, fill your, your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Right? What does Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says? That's the same thing that Jesus quoted to the devil. And he says, that, uh, you know, that, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not uh, know, nor did your fathers know, he, that he might make you know that the man, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is tempted, and what does Jesus use? The Word of God. What are we supposed to use? The Word of God. That's what shapes us. It's God's Word that brings us to repentance. It's God's Word that brings us to confession. It's God's Word as they're responding to worship. And it's that temptation. When that, when that temptation comes knocking at the door, do you have an answer? Or do you just go ahead and fall into sin? Because I'm telling you, part of... Part of being able to fight those temptations is being in God's Word. It's a major part of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, confession, when we confess our sins, the devil uses condemnation. He, you're, you're worse than you think you are. But, but Lord, forgive me of my sin. He's never going to forgive you. That's the devil. That's the devil. God's voice is conviction, and it actually draws you closer to him. It draws you closer to him. See, this is the thing, and what I was saying is that people will... will think that they're giving up all this stuff from the world and and god is trying to draw you closer to him through the hope of his son jesus christ in genesis chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 it says the lord said to cain why are you angry why has your face fallen if you do well will you not be accepted if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, 
Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's something that we need to understand is that the devil is constantly coming after you. It's, it's not going to end. And you need to be ready for when sin comes knocking at your door. And not just knocking at your door, but knocking at your door to take your kids, right? Your spouse. That's what the devil's here to do to kill, steal, and destroy. See, confession changes us, and it also changes the church. So when, when God is restoring and rebuilding, the first thing we have to remember is the gospel of Christ. That's what changes lives. So we're not, we, we shouldn't put Jesus off. Peter did that, remember? When, when they were washing the feet, <laughs> Jesus is, is there in John chapter 21, verses 15. It says, and after Jesus... Asked Simon Peter, Simon, uh, you know, this is one of the things that I love is he didn't want to let him wash his feet. But then, you know, Simon Peter falls and Jesus gently brings him back to a right relationship with him. And, and he tells him after breakfast, y'all know the verse very well. He asked Simon Peter in John chapter 21, verse 15, Simon uh, son of John, do you love me more than these? And yes, uh, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. And Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question the third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. Do y'all get that part? Lord, you know everything. You're not hiding anything from Christ. He knows everything. Everything. And, and that's one of the things that, that I pray is that, you know, as we study, you know, we were in last week and we were talking about how Jesus came for sinners. It's like we actually confess our sins. If there's something going on in our heart, anger, lust, whatever it is, we confess it. Pride. See, we think there are little sins and big sins, and all of them are sin. They're all sin, and we need to confess them. Because it, 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 it's, it's hindering our relationship with Christ. And in verse 4, it gives a list of names. I'm not going to butcher those and make y'all go through them. But it says, on the stairs with the Levites stood. And the list of those names are the actual leaders. That, and the leaders of the city are crying out to the Lord. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then we see verse 5. The Levites, all the priests, and they're listed... And this is where we got the title of the verse. In, verse. in verse 5 it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Be, blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So you know what they're doing? They've confessed their sins and now what they're doing is they're worshiping God. They're worshiping God. They've been forgiven. And I love what Pastor Skip said, and I'll probably say this probably till I go home to be with the Lord. You can be 10 steps from Christ. You can be 10,000 steps from Christ. You can be 10 million steps from Christ. 
But the moment you repent, you're right with Christ. And, and that's important for us to remember. But we see confession and worship as part of revival. And, and then what we see through verses, the rest of chapter uh, 6, or chapter 9, uh, from verse 5 on, it's actually the longest prayer in the Bible. And it's actually going to go over the rebellion and the history of the nation of Israel. See, one of the things that we have to look at when we're separated from sin, we need to remember who we're separated from. Right? Stop focusing on the separation of the sin, but who are you separated from? God. You're separated from God. See, a lot of times we don't want to give up stuff and, and we'll glorify the things of this world, but we won't glorify God. That's why it's important for us to understand the choice that we make here on earth to follow Christ affects eternity. If we choose to, to repent and ask Jesus in our heart, we belong to Christ. You'll be with him in heaven. Your sins are forgiven. Your past, your present, your future sins. And we're going to talk about that Sunday. But if you choose not to follow Christ, you have eternity, but it's in hell. It's in hell. You have to choose to follow Christ while you're here on this earth. And so we need to seek a relationship with him now. That's why he said back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. And so one of the things that we have to do is as we're sharing the good news with people, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is don't try to sugarcoat it. Just give them God's word. And let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit needs to do in that person's heart. Jesus bled for them. Jesus died for them. Jesus wants them to be forgiven. And see, so we see hope in that confession. And I love verse 6. It says, you are the Lord. You alone. There's no other gods. You have made heaven and the heavens heavens. So we see the word the Lord here used is Yahweh. Right? And, and he's saying... You created heaven, and there are angels worshiping you now, at this moment. And Yahweh sent his son, Jesus. And he says, with all their hosts and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So we see that, that God created everything. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He alone, God alone, Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. Why? He's a jealous God. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 19 through 21, it says, But Joshua said to the people, 
You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do harm and consume you after having done, done good. And the people said to Joshua, But no, but we will serve the Lord. And you see, this is all the way back as they're walking into the promised land. And what do they do? They've fallen. By the time they get to Judges, there's generations that don't even know who the Lord is. Thing is, is with the internet, I think a lot of people know who God is today. But they don't know who God is. They don't understand that part of it. And so making sure the gospel of Christ goes out is so important. So what is our application for tonight? First, we love what we worship. So who or what are you worshiping today? Right? We love, I can, just look at your bank account. You can tell what you, what you worship. Well, look at your, your settings on your, your, your favorite uh, streaming. You can tell what you worship. Like we're going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit this weekend. It's like we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if we're filled with the things of this world. So what are we worshiping? We are to love Him above else, above all else. So is there anything in your life that's above God right now? Because God's supposed to be first. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that's why he says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law, and they had no problem that they spent three hours in it. They had no problem spending three hours in the Word and preaching and praying and worshiping and confessing. Second application. How do you respond to God's Word? Does it bring you to confession and worship and prayer? I, I love Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 25. Psalm 119, verse 25. It says, I lie in the dust... Revive me by your word. Revive me by your word. Is there consistency in your time of reading God's word? Because I can tell you there's probably consistency of you checking this thing. I'm guilty for this too. So I don't want to put anybody on blast. I bet you there's consistency for you checking your Instagram. See, the kids are on TikTok now. And, and uh, oh, Lord, what's the other one? They're not. I'm, not, I'm just talking about kids. So don't, please don't, don't. I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> They're not on Instagram and, and Twitter and all that stuff because your parents are on that stuff. You know, my son told me he's 18, so that's how I know. You know, I'm sorry. But I'm talking about youth overall. But we'll check that stuff, and you know what? We can, we can sit and go, well, my, my, my teenager, my, my son does that all the time. So do you. So do you, do you make time to be in God's Word? And does it bring you to a place of confession and worship and prayer? Last piece of application, and this is it, and we'll end it up here. 
When confessing sin, are you trying to justify your own sinful, sinful behavior or seeking to be justified by the blood of Christ? Are you trying to justify your own sinful behavior or are you seeking to be justified by the blood of Christ? It's really easy to justify ourselves because what we do what? We compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm not as bad as he is. No, you're in sin too. John chapter 13, when Jesus is washing the feet, Peter said, no, don't, you're not washing my feet. And, and John chapter 13, verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus, Jesus answered him, if you do not wash you, you have, you have no share with me. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, but my hands and my head. And some of us need to ask that from Christ tonight. Don't just forgive me of my, my sins, Lord, but don't just wash my feet, wash my heart, wash my head, wash my hands. We don't want to be like Ezekiel when, when Ezekiel's being told how to go out. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 7, it says, But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me. This is God. And he says, But because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. And as Christians, that's one of the things we have to be mindful of. Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. We, we have to decide if we're going to submit to Christ and obey Him. And, and it's simple obedience. And next week as we go through the remainder of the chapter, you're going to see rebellion after rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. And yet God's mercy is new every morning. He forgave them. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to close out in prayer. And, uh, and I just want to give you a time just for you. If there's something on your heart and you're saying, Lord, and that's between you and God. Just take that time and just say, Lord, you know what? Wash my heart. Wash my thoughts. Just cleanse me. Because we all need that. That's how revival starts. That's how revival starts. And remember, revival, very simply, worship, prayer, word, confession. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We do pray and just ask, Lord, that you be with us as we um, go home tonight. We pray that, you know, this is a very uh, tough chapter. You know, as we, we talk about confession, we talk about sins. Uh, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, I'm just going to give them a moment. If you're online and, and you need a moment just to confess your sins, remember, you confess your sins, you repent, and you ask Christ into your heart. Believe in Him that He died on the cross for you. You're His. You're His. And if you belong to Him and you've gotten off the path, just take a moment and, and just say, Lord, you know what? Forgive me. Help me. Lord, you know the hearts that are here. You know the hearts that are online watching. You know the hearts that will listen to the podcast. And Father God, I just pray that you help cleanse our hearts. Forgive us of our sins of a, of a nation that has walked into so many different, different things that go against your word. Forgive us of those, Lord. 
turn us back to you. And Lord, I pray for revival in each person here tonight. That revival starts with us, the people of God. I pray for the city of Divine. I pray for uh, just the state of Texas, Lord. Be with us. Let us, instead of running from God, instead of running to the things of this world, instead of having consistency with the things of this world, let us be the contrast. Let us be the light that contrasts the dark. Let us boldly go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Father God. We thank you for tonight. I pray that you get everybody home safely and just do a work in our lives, Lord. Do that washing that you need to do and help us, Lord. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.